guys, I'm Brad Montgomery, and this is The Breakdown, where we focus on science, psychology, and finance. Today, we're gonna to be talking about plants and trees. And I'm here with County Extension Agent Denise S. Rodriguez. We thank you very much for coming out. We're gonna be talking about, I wanna know what grows here and what doesn't, but first, I wanna start off with a viewer question. Viewer question, this is from Lonnie V. Brown leaves on palm trees, we see this happen here, especially after some of our more harsh winters. Uh, leave them on or do I cut them off? That's a great question. Actually, those dead fronds that are there act as a mulch for the plant itself. So it kind of protects that bud that's really tender. It's going to emerge come the warmer winter, uh, warmer weather, if you uh, can imagine that. So you just kind of think about that uh, and leave it there. And until you start seeing new growth come out, then you can trim that dead front back. That makes sense. And already, I think now starting to see some of that, but that can happen periodically after one of our our harsher winters, eh? I believe a couple winters ago it was rather harsh. We had a lot of brown palm trees as well. So outdoor trees, plants, what does good here, what doesn't? I think that's the question that a lot of people have, you know, whether you've got an open space in your yard, whether you have a new yard, you know, you're, you're sitting there looking around, you know, well, you, you go to these big box stores and a lot of these trees, plants, they say, you know, full sun or whatever, and it'll be a, you know, a willow tree that maybe full sun in Minnesota but not necessarily full sun for the Southwest. And so you have to be kind of on the lookout for what does well and what doesn't. One way to do it, you can drive around neighborhoods and kind of look at people's yards, et cetera. But what do you recommend as some reliables that are that are green? Because a lot of people still like green. Absolutely. So make, uh, buying a tree is probably the best, biggest and best investment you can make for your landscape. Um, if you plant the right tree in the right space, you're going to look for that uh, benefit to come generations right. ahead of you. So it's really important to be really selective on what you're looking for when selecting a tree. Um, and you see a lot of labels, like you said, in the nursery store, yeah. native, native, native. Well, Texas native, right. you know, North American native. What right. are you looking at? So a really important thing is we need to realize that we live in the Chihuahua desert and with that we have some climatic differences right. um, that we can look at so one of the things is we live in the USDA zone 8a so we're looking at uh, lower temperatures between 10 to 15 degrees in the winter time however we've lived in El Paso long enough to know that we've hit some really lower temperatures in the past 10 years or yeah. so so we have to look at those plants can be a little bit moderate or marginal if you will and we talk about hardiness. So uh, pay attention when you're looking at the labels. Um, anytime that you look at a plant and just generally uh, our native Chihuahuan desert trees mm -hmm. are gonna be uh, multiple branches, they're gonna have very small leaves, mm -hmm. they're gonna have either glossy leaves or a little pubescence, little um, nice little hairs on their leaves right. to kind of protect from water loss. Right. So that's just a general thing to be able to look out for. And to give you some examples of that, we have like the Texas honey mesquite, okay. small leaves, uh, great shade, multiple trunks as well. Um, me Mexican redbud really does really oh, great. Oh, pink flowers? Yeah, yeah. they're actually kind of unique because they flower out before their leaves come out every mm -hmm. year. So as you're driving by and the weather starts warming up, you start seeing these bright splashes, a really bright fuchsia. And those are the Mexican redbuds. They can be a single trunk or multiple trunks, but they do really well as here, uh, here as well. Um, Desert willow is another great 
yeah. tree as you well. You see those in the desert sometimes, you're just around in the area. Yes, yeah. you do. So you'll see those, and those are really great because they have trumpet-shaped leaves. Uh, excuse me, trumpet-shaped flowers. Mm -hmm. uh, and those really attract our native uh, hummingbirds as well. So they provide nectar or a food source for these migratory birds. And they've kind of been bred out to where the, the desert willow, you can get like the more purple right. kind of dark flowers if you want. So, I mean, they've, they've actually got some, some pretty colors as far as the variations even. Now, you mentioned Texas native too, because that's a big thing here. I, you know, we're, we're in Texas, but we're in far west Texas. And, and we're, like you said, the most important thing is we're in Texas, but we're in the Chihuahuan Desert. Right. There are some Texas natives, though, that are pretty Texas tough. I mean, you get the pecan tree. It actually does pretty well here. Absolutely. So uh, the pecan tree is very, um, very important to us agriculturally uh, with the sales receipts that we have with our acreage of pecans in our valley. And the really important reason why pecans do so well is because they really like those cool nights. Right. So, you know, in the summer it gets really hot, but, but we have those really nice cool downs in the evening to nighttime temperatures. Mm -hmm. That allows for the proper nut to develop and to be able to have that great uh, growing season for us. It also works as a homeowner backyard yeah, tree I was, as I've well. Yeah, I've got one. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just, it's just a little bit too big sometimes for some yards, depending on where they're at as well. But the really cool thing about them is that they have, um, they're really late to leaf out. Yeah. So the great thing about that is that you can still get that direct sun onto your home oh, and you get yeah. that really nice warming uh, winter sun right. to warm up your house. And then you get the summer shade. Exactly. And then they're really late to drop their leaves. So conversely, if we have a really, you know, a really warm, warm fall, fall yeah. as well, we still have that shade cover as well. Nice. So it's really nice uh, to be able to do that. But as long as you can harvest those nuts every year, <laughs> you'll be good. <laughs> Now, what about like, there's one I want to get to before I get into palms, because that's a little bit of a controversy here. Mm -hmm. uh, we got Ital like Italian cypress, cedar and, and juniper and, and cypress types. Italian cypress for those, those are the ones that are just basically go straight up. You know, you see this tall, perfectly straight green tree. We've seen them all around El Paso. Mediterranean um, in origin, but they seem to do fairly well. Yeah, they do, and they work really well around areas that have maybe pool areas um, where you're just kind of looking for it to be able to kind of develop like an aesthetic yeah, uh, on there. But really, if you're looking to be able to increase the canopy, the urban canopy okay. in our urban forest, you want something that's going to give you that overall shade. So with those Italian cypress or palm trees, you're not going to get any of that. You're going to get some linear height to your design, right. uh, which is great because you want to bring your eye up sometimes at different levels. Um, but not so much for shade cover or, you know, anything to kind of cool off a building or yourself. And that's probably one of the best things about living in the desert is that when we go under a tree during the summertime, we actually cool off. That's true. Because of that low humidity. Right, the dry air, the shade makes a difference. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's true. Yeah, there's not a lot of shade under a palm tree. Right. <laughs> that's true. Um, real quick, on, on the palm trees, there's, there's two common types here that, I mean, there's the pineapple palm that a lot of people tend to like. Um, what do you think of those versus fan palms? And then fan palms, you got the California fan, which is more hardy. Would you recommend that if you were 
you know, really wanted a palm tree, let's say for your yard, you know, you moved out here to the desert and you're like, I want a palm tree, would you recommend that one? Yeah, the, the Mexican fan palm do really well as well, you know, so it's a it's matter of choice of what you're looking at. You don't necessarily need to protect the base of the, any kind of palm, uh, palm tree during right. the winter time because they're really interesting. They have one growing bud, which is right in the center right. of that trunk. Um, so covering up the base is not really going to do yeah, much for yeah, homeowners. Right. So yeah. we kind of always share that with folks, just kind of protect that. That kind of alludes to your viewer question uh, at the beginning of the show right. when you talked about the fronds and leaving those as a protection for um, colder freezes. And also to like, what are some watering tips? And I want to talk about not just summer, but winter. Yes. It's interesting because El Paso, you know, you look at the mulberry trees and a lot of the trees, the cottonwoods and stuff that lose their leaves. A lot of people don't really water them because in the wintertime they go dormant. So you can kind of get away with not watering some trees right. here. But, but before we get into winter watering tips, you know, there's kind of a debate for, for summer watering. Is it best done in the morning? Is it best done in the evening? What are your recommendations on that and for how long for, for a healthy tree or healthy shrub? Right. So you first of all, you, you live in the city limits. You want to make sure that you adhere to the local water right. uh, restrictions. And those are going to be no water, outdoor watering from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. in the evening. Okay. So on watering in the a.m. or the p.m. prior to 10 or after 6 o'clock, a couple of things you want to remember. Number one, you want to be near the your irrigation system when it's watering so if you're getting ready in the morning you want to make sure that you hear that irrigation system going on in the a.m because you don't want to have any kind of pipe burst or any kind of leak issues and have that flood the backyard um, now you can also water in the evening six o'clock afterwards as well when most people are either home from work yeah. or they're relaxing in their backyard you see that more. they're preparing yeah. uh, for dinner as well so uh, you're around there that's great it's still warm enough to be able to you know to water um, I guess the biggest controversy with that is that some people say that there can be some um, like fungal growth or right. some bacteria kind and of and that's growing. what I saw Right, yeah, but I guess, but it, because we live in such a like a dry climate, okay. Um, even if we're watering at six o'clock in the evening, we still have time to be able to dry out. off, and we don't leave any kind of moisture on the leaves themselves. And that can go for an ornamental plants like roses as well as your lawn. Okay, yeah, good to so, know. Yeah, good to know. And also, what are some winter watering tips? Because you know, it's not obviously necessary as often. Right. But I think some people kind of say they kind of. Well, it's never necessary. You don't need to do it at all. But that may not be the case, right? Absolutely. So a lot of times in El Paso, when it's going to be a cold freeze, we always stay to protect our plants, our pipes, you know, the four P's right. that you know very well as well. So people tend to kind of go out there and they'll go wrap all sorts of their outdoor faucets and then right. they can't get to them, you oh, know. Yeah, so yeah. what happens is that we have a lot of clear, sunny days that are marginally warm, mm -hmm. even in the winter time as well. Um, so we want to make sure that, yes, you do protect those pipes during very uh, cold, cold snaps as well, but also have it accessible for you to be able to reach the water hose during the, the winter time as well. And if you're going to water anything, I just recommend water those trees in your landscape. You want to make sure that those roots are nice and hydrated, that they're able to, once they get enough uh, heat, uh, they're able to leaf out accordingly. Oh, okay. so, so if you water in the winter, and how often would you recommend? 
Yes. So you want so it's not so much the recommendation. Okay. I mean, I could give you a ballpark okay. like every two to three weeks, okay. if you okay. will. Okay. Uh huh. But really, what it is is you want to make sure that you get enough water into the soil profile as okay. well. So shallow sprinkles of water are not going to do much harm for your trees. Exactly. Okay. So don't worry if you don't have an irrigation system. Just pull out your garden hose and take it directly over to that drip line of that tree, and you should be fine. Okay. And that'll that's interesting that you mentioned that. That's something I hadn't really thought about. So it's you end up with a better leafed out looking tree when it's time come spring. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Now, what about, you know, there are some other trees here that people tend to have that they don't, it's not necessarily, certainly wouldn't be classified as Chihuahua, Chihuahuan Desert, but you got like fig trees. Some people like their fig trees. What What are your thoughts on that? I mean, is it is it something that you wouldn't recommend because, you know, it's just not for here or, you know, with a little supplemental water, they do just fine. I mean, what? Well, it's going to be very hard to grow any kind of plant in El Paso in our Chihuahuan Desert without any kind of supplemental water. Okay. So we get about, what, eight to nine inches of year, of rainfall a year. Right. Well, we know that we operate on a drought, right? So yeah. we're lucky sometimes we just hit five inches of, of water. So you still have a deficit of those three plus inches True. that you need to do. So you need to supplement that as well. So definitely, if you want to grow your fig trees um, out there, most definitely, um, I think any time anyone is choosing to plant that has to have a purpose okay. for them so they enjoy the fruits on there they enjoy you know just having the wildlife come in and, and take the nectar from that right there has to be a reason for that uh for every plant that you choose and that also includes your lawn care too people say there's a you know lawns kind of get a bad rap right sometimes but you can if, have them but you just need to be yeah, ready for that yes but if you have kids and you if you have pets then you want right. you're going to use the outdoor space and it's not a waste of resources True. Okay. Um, I want to talk about, there's another one I want to talk about too. Um, this is going to be old. I want to talk about oleanders. Okay. Very popular yeah. uh, in the landscapes. They had, when, when it freezes, they can, they can get some damage during the harder freezes when we get below about 15 degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have last year, I think they had some browning of the leaves mm -hmm. uh, that was going around. Did you know can you talk a little bit about that? What was going on? Sure, absolutely. So oleanders are probably one of the most popular shrubs in El Paso. Uh, some may say that they be that they're overplanted, mm -hmm. if you will. Uh, but yes, any time that uh, those plants, um, the dwarf oleanders are a little bit more uh, drought. I'm sorry, heat. Dollar. Excuse me. Um, I'm sorry, the dwarf oleanders are a little bit more uh, cold sensitive, oh, if you okay. will. So they're the ones that are actually going to be more susceptible to any kind of low temperatures, okay. if you will. So thinking about that, um, those browning of those leaves, yeah, they're unsightly. They're right. going to be during the winter time. However, I always encourage homeowners that once they start seeing that new growth come in, they can go ahead and trim that dead branch uh, up until you start seeing some nice green uh, foliage coming out. Okay. And then this is another one too where there's there's kind of a I believe there's a native Texas pistache uh -huh. and then there's also the Chinese pistache right they, they they're actually fairly similar right are they how do they're, they're the one just so that people know that, that turn that you can't miss them in the fall gorgeous fall color they got the bright orange red I mean just really fiery colors literally fiery colors right. come fall what are your feelings on growing those here? Obviously, their native range is east of here. Right. Uh, but they don't seem to take or need a lot of care. Uh, they seem to actually, 
maybe some crossover they do a little bit better here too yeah so it's not just native plants to Chihuah the chihuahuan desert itself it's also adapted plants and the texas pistache and the chinese pistache that you're talking about are those plants that fall in that category that are adapted to our climate and they absolutely do really well um you have those ranges of fall colors but they also have the persistent berries as well and the bark is kind of interesting too if you kind of get up and close to them so they make a really great landscape tree we see them a lot in, in larger um, areas also uh, in parks so yeah it's a great way to be able to have color or different color throughout the entire seasons of your uh, garden as well and this is this one is not as as commonly planted anymore you know it, it seems like things maybe run through phases here right. uh, especially you go through some of the neighborhoods 70s 60s where you see yeah. a lot of cedar juniper you know those right. they don't see those as much anymore but you don't see a lot of Texas mountain laurel and for those that don't know those are the ones that are evergreen and they get these almost wisteria purple like flowers just really really nice flowers in the springtime they don't last for long but they smell really good it's a Texas native as well and those they're native not that far from here and I, I guess those are pretty much okay on our rainfall or what, what have you seen as far as those go almost very I bring it up because they're very green they get a nice flower but they're, they don't need a lot of extra care is that right so they're multiple uh, stem shrubs if you will and like you said they are evergreen they have great glossy green leaves as well and they only bloom once a year so if you're looking for something that's going to be a consistent flowering throughout the entire year, that's not going to be your plant. Right. But the great thing about that is that it's, you know, when when it blooms in the springtime, a lot of native pollinators are attracted to the blooms as well. So you start seeing a lot of activity happening in your garden. And then after the flowers fade, uh, they kind of, the plant itself kind of recedes into the background. Right, If you will, for other superstars yeah. to kind of come to the front as well. But they have some really interesting little seed pods as well that are a little gray uh, pods, really hard to break. I mean, right. if you want to break them, uh, you got to get a hammer for right. that one. But when, when you do that, you can find some bright uh, red berries on there. You can try your luck at propagating or growing your own right. on those, but they're going to be really slow to yeah, grow slow and growers. to sprout. Yeah. And it's going to be, yeah, it's a labor of love when it comes to that plant. But when it's, when it's in bloom, it's showy. But it's funny you've mentioned that because I had somebody tell me one time, they said, I asked them, I said, do you, do you like that? And you know, when I had the flowers on it, yeah. they said, yeah, but they only look like that for two weeks. <laughs> right. <laughs> so after the flowers are done, and that gets me to another one that flowers a little bit longer, that that is pretty much hands-free here. And I think it's being used by a lot of businesses, et cetera, because of that. And that's the Texas Sage. And everyone knows the Texas Sage. You drive around July and August, and you see these like pink, purple bushes just covered in these flowers and they're they're i encourage people to buy them when they're in flower mm -hmm. so they know what color they're getting or what what variation of color they're getting what do you have to say about those yeah definitely those guys are their leaves kind of range from gray to a little uh, kind of greenish yeah. color you know uh but they're commonly referred to as a barometer plant if you will because they're really receptive to the changes in the in the humidity in the air or the barometric pressure so they're kind of an indicator like we're going to start getting a change of weather pattern oh, nice. i don't know how much that is a, you know attached to any kind yeah, of scientific knowledge yeah, yeah. but if you kind of look out for that you kind of start seeing them so it's not like they're responding to the rain 
pain, they're responding to that pressure, oh, okay. if you will. Yeah. Um, but they're really great. Uh, there's very a lot of different types of Texas Sage to get, Texas Ranger, all the way, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you want to look out for those um, as well. The biggest thing on that, and the biggest issue that I have, uh, are with landscapers kind of trimming those into a little balls or little yeah. like. Like Lorax type looking of, of ornamental. Topiary. Yeah, and, yeah. and that really cuts down on, uh, for, most of all, it cuts down really on the health of the plant. Okay. You weaken the plant when you start pruning that intensively. Oh, okay. So trying to keep the most natural shape, if you will, to be able to let that grow uh, into its kind of its more ma mature size is the best way to go on there. You don't have the space and you gotta choose a smaller plant. And what, what would be your top, maybe like top two? recommendations because again we had talked about um, and it gets talked about quite a bit basically zero escaping you know and some people just don't want that for their yard that's when you get the basically the desert landscape to be able to save water and have low maintenance but a lot of people like you know seeing something green in their yard right. what would be your top maybe one or two choices for something that has a leafy green but that does well here low water low maintenance cold hardy, heat hardy, because the Chihuahuan Desert, we get a little bit of it all. Right, so you put me on the spot, because as a plant a horticulturalist and a plant lover, it's really hard to, it's hard to really narrow it <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah. So I'm gonna go back a little bit on what you were talking about, the oleanders. Okay. I'm gonna, let's do a replacement on our oleanders okay. as well. So one uh, multiple uh, shrub that I like is called Little Leaf Cordia. It's really great, it's got evergreen, green leaves on there, but it has white uh, tube-shaped flowers. Oh, nice. It has the same shape as the oleander, uh, but it's more of a free-flow, plant it does great for habitats little sparrows like to nest in there okay. and they kind of so it's a really great plant it's a great alternative for some place where maybe an oleander would normally go okay. you can find those in local nurseries and what would your second second choice maybe I know again you know all these so it's yeah, kind of put you on the spot exactly yeah it's really tough uh, let's see another one of that I would choose would be um, well well I'm gonna tell you that one of my native favorite plants is gonna be the ocotillo Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think, um, think of that as a design element to be able to add on there. I think it's such a hardy plant. We're, I know we're not talking about shade, uh, right. but also looking also accent at accent plants, but also really it's great for a wildlife habitat as okay. well. Our uh, hummingbirds love the blooms. And the great thing about Ocotillo is it can have either leaves or it can have flowers. It can have both. It can have none, but it's just so resilient. And I think kind of like it fades into the background, but if you're hiking and you just look just right at that mountain, yeah. I mean, even off uh, driving off here on the west side of town, you can start seeing those come into focus as yeah. well. I think they're really underrated, uh, but they do a really great uh, kind of design element to your garden. Yeah, they're, they're there, and when they flower, those red flowers yeah. are amazing. I actually started a cutting. And you can oh, yeah, uh -huh. you can go and I'll let you go into that. But I, I took three branches from the desert, oh. from uh, and and I basically put them in the soil, right. and two of the three took. Uh, but so what, what are your thoughts? I mean, are they easy to start? I mean, is that the recommended propagation? Or? Yeah, we're working with some uh, growers out in, in Arizona and they're doing some seed propagation okay. with ocotillo. So that's probably going to be the best way okay. to ethically source your ocotillo yeah, as opposed to be able to, you know, because they'll clear out um, the ocotillo areas yeah. for cattle to be able to graze oh, okay. and things of that nature. So yeah. they kind of take them they all out, out of, their, anyway. of their native plants. Yeah, but you can try uh, growing those or have the, the nurserymen grow those by seed, which is a great way. To to. Every now and then you do see them if you want to keep an eye out for them, if you're interested in Ocotillo, you do see them mm -hmm. uh, 
at the nurseries from time to time. Right. You do, but not not all the time. But you can't keep yeah. an eye out for that. Yeah. And one of the ones that kind of springs me to one other one you see out in the desert real quick is the yucca. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on on the the various yuccas that we have and, and some of the better ones that perform better in, in, in a yard setting. Yeah, so our yucca has a lot, a lot of great cultural um, history attached to that, um, where folks, of native folks have used that, uh, the tubers that grow underground to be able to use that for medicinal purposes um, as well, but they make a great accent plant as well. Um, they're also great for habitats, um, and you can also use the dry uh, flowers uh, to be able for accents to be able to have for indoor um, elements of garden into your home as well. I think uh, yucca filifera is the sharper leaf. Right, exactly. They're not going to be the most uh, friendly uh, yeah. plants on there, so you want to make sure that you give them their space, and you don't want to have them in high traffic areas where you're going to have pets or your kids kind of run through them. Oh, yeah. Just kind of let them sit uh, and do their thing and give them space. Uh, biggest thing on yucca or any type of succulent with those uh, narrow-shaped leaves is you don't want to prune the, the bottom leaves on there. Mm -hmm. Because you start seeing like this weird pineapple shape, mm -hmm. whether it's on uh, yuccas or agaves, you start seeing that, and it's just uh, it's unsightly. It's not healthy for the plant. Okay, and let's uh, so as we kind of cool things down here, I got one question for you here. Uh, this is going to be Liliana M. What are the best flowers to grow here for a garden? Just real quick. Uh, kind of like springtime flowers, what you recommend? Absolutely. So you can go to the big box stores and you can get any kind of flowers that you want. They come into six packs as well. Petunias, zinnias, things like that. But if you're looking for something that's really adapted to our climate, I would go for the gazanias. Okay. Uh, they do really well. They come in a great different different shades of red, orange, and yellow. Uh, they're really heat tolerant, but they also bloom um, all throughout the entire summer. And where are some places that people can go to kind of see these trees and maybe see them already growing and you know, maybe do I want that in my yard or not? That's something I like. Where are some places people can check these out? Absolutely. So the gardens at UTEP, the UTEP Chihuahuan Desert Museum and Gardens is a great way to be able to go and showcase and see our native. It's one of our native uh, largest native uh, Chihuahuan desert plants area. Nice. So all of those plants out there are labeled as uh, so you can be able to take a look at them and go during different seasons because things start coming in and out of, of bloom um, as well. Uh, but also looking around at um, you can go out to the Texas A&M Research Center out in Far East El Paso. That's at I-10 and the Loop. They also have more of a xeriscape uh, garden in the front, and it's kind of a kind of fashion like a backyard, if you will, okay. with a lot of hardscapes, uh, a lot of materials that they would use uh, for your backyard. So some a lot of more design ideas as opposed to the, the botanical garden at UTIP, which is more of a collection okay. of plants. That's so. And where is that located again? For the, the, the design ideas, where the plants are mixed. Sure, in? that's at the Texas A&M Research Center off. On I-10 in Americas at 1380 A&M Circle. All right, sounds good. Yes. Well, this is County Extension Agent Denise S. Rodriguez. Thank you very, very much for joining us here. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to get notified when we post a new one. Please leave us a comment down below and share this podcast with your friends. Thank you for breaking it down with me. I'm Brad Montgomery, and we'll see you next time here on The Breakdown. <laughs>